Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to 2024, the calendar of the Christians. It's like 2056 or 57 or something like that. I uh, know uh, 2557, 56 on the Buddhist calendar. But um, we, we go by the, the Christian calendar, 2024. Um, I'd like to start class by asking you to connect with each other for a minute. I'm going to talk. I feel like the core of what I'm going to talk about tonight is Sangha, is community and the importance of drawing near and sustaining uh, connections with Sangha, with people who are wise, or at least trying, attempting to be wise, have the intention to be wise. So Reflecting for a moment on who are the wise people in your life, who are who are like, you know, rather than talking about yourself, like uh, we'll break into small groups and uh, tell your small group about, you know, two or three people in your life that inspire you and support you and encourage you um, in your practice and your recovery and your um and your path to healing or awakening, whatever you want to call it about, who are, who are kind of two or three people that are part of that, what we would call Sangha for you. And so in the room, better to get into a group with two or three people that you don't know, rather than people that you do know. And at home, I put you in these random breakout groups. Okay. We'll have a period of sitting meditation. I'll give some meditation instructions and then uh, talk and discussion. Finding a way to sit that is sustainable. Find a posture where your body is upright, but also relaxed. Allowing our eyes to be closed, gently, softly. Releasing tension from the face, the brow, the jaw, the neck and shoulders, and the belly. Bringing an attitude of loving kindness, friendliness, unconditional self-acceptance, accepting the mind, the heart, the body, just as it is in this moment.
and bringing mindfulness to the body, present time, non-judgmental, kind awareness of the sensations that are present. And spending a few minutes bringing mindfulness to the breath, choosing to direct our awareness to awareness of breathing, sensations created by the breath. Trying to let everything else be in the background. The thoughts may continue to arise and pass. We're trying to ignore the mind as we pay attention to the body breathing. disengaging from the planning, remembering tendency of mind. As we engage mindfulness of the body sitting, breathing. When you find your awareness having been drawn back into thinking and you're planning or worrying or whatever the mind's up to, just disengage, come back to the breath. Not stopping the thoughts, but stop paying attention to them. Choosing to return to the physical reality of sitting feeling the contact with the chair, the cushion. Returning to the breath.
beginning to investigate the feeling tone, the second foundation of mindfulness. Even just with the awareness of the breath, you perceive the sensations of the breath as pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. The contact with the chair, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. About the contact of your hands resting in your lap. How's that feel? Pleasant or unpleasant? Neutral? One of the reasons we sit still or try to sit still in meditation is to give ourselves the opportunity to experience some unpleasant sensations, to change our relationship to pain, to unpleasantness. As we turn towards what is hard to bear, what is unpleasant, rather than Avoiding it or ignoring it. So this is both on the physical level, sensations in the body, as well as emotions, if any. Sadness or sorrow, loneliness, grief, anger or fear. Arise in the heart and mind bringing awareness to the unpleasant nature of these emotions, the afflictive emotions. Rather than ignoring what the mind wants to think about, the plans, the worries, the resentments, the reminiscing, the fantasies. Include the mental activity with an interest, a curiosity of these pleasant thoughts or unpleasant thoughts. Or perhaps neutral. Likewise, the sense doors, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting. The inquiry of what's happening right now. What sounds are being perceived. Is there smell, tastes, images, even with the eyes closed? And are these pleasant or unpleasant or neutral.
the more we bring our direct attention to pain, the more we learn to accept it, tolerate it, see the impermanent changing nature of unpleasantness, how it's arising, sustaining, and passing, changing. Mindfulness of the unpleasant teaches us to respond with compassion, with mercy. And as we bring awareness to the pleasant, also becoming more and more awake to the impermanent nature of pleasant sensation, emotions, thoughts, arising and passing. We learn to let go, to stop clinging and becoming attached to the impermanent pleasures. But to respond with non-attached appreciation, enjoying, savoring, appreciating that which is pleasant and the moment, but knowing that it's impermanent, transient.
present time kind awareness of the physical body of the emotions the mind the sense doors leads to insight understanding wisdom into the impermanent nature of all of our experience every thought arising and passing every sensation every emotion the unreliable or unsatisfactory truth nature of impermanent phenomena And we begin to understand the impersonal and not, not personal, not self nature of the mind, how it just continues to think all by itself, judging and comparing and fearing and planning and remembering just automatically without any real agency. the body the nervous system rejecting pain not soothing not being tender or compassionate towards our pain but this instinctual drive away from the unpleasant instinctual craving for the pleasant we begin to wake up to how impersonal this whole process is not your fault it's not personal it's just what it's like to have a body a heart a mind We learn to meet it with compassion, the pain, non-attachment, and non-identification. The wisdom that understands the mind has a mind of its own, the body craves. not who or what we are. This larger awareness that observes and can respond wisely.
<clears throat> when I was on a retreat last year with um, Ajahn Amro, uh, one of my teachers, I talked a couple of times about um, this sutta, this um, teaching, one of the historical teachings from the Buddha about the importance of um, friendship and that the whole uh, kind of path to liberation um, in, this, in this particular teaching that I'll share with you tonight. I mentioned a couple weeks ago or last week. Um, starts with, the path starts with who you're hanging out with. Um, kind of the maybe the most important thing is who we who do we surround ourselves with and then when i was um with him recently a few weeks ago he when we were interviewing him about uh, refuge recovery and a buddhist perspectives on addiction and recovery he was quite quick to, to reference this teaching and uh, the importance of community for, you know, of course, it's, it's core to the Buddha, which has nothing to do with addiction and recovery, um, just for everyone. But he, you know, he, he sort of, uh, he said, you know, for, it's, it's true for everyone, but it seems to be especially true for addicts and alcoholics um, to really need each other in, in a, um, you know, even more so than the non non addicts, and maybe that's not true. Maybe it's not fair, but it, it was an emphasis put on it. So I'm going to share some of the. It's a little bit long, but let's see, share the translation of this sutta. The way it uh, actually is written is it starts with, you ever had that question, where does ignorance come from? Like, so from a Buddhist perspective, it's, you know, it's ignorance to the way it is and responding with a sort of ignorant uh, relationship to pleasure, like clinging is a form of ignorance, aversion is a form of ignorance, not it's the opposite of wisdom. The wise relationship to pleasure is non-attached appreciation. The wise relationship to pain is compassion. But when we don't have wisdom, we respond ignorantly with clinging, with aversion. The wise relationship to the mind is to not uh, take it so personally, <laughs> to not believe all of our thoughts and to not obey all of them because some of them are so confused, so ignorant. But there's, you ever have that question and maybe it's, you know, philosophical of like, well, where does the, where does all of this ignorance come from? Are we born ignorant? And maybe, uh, I think that there's a lot of people that want to think like, well, babies are born perfect and you know uncorrupted and un 
you know, beautiful, innocent children. Now, of course, part of this perspective in the Buddhist time and, you know, this teaching is, and we're not only born once, but over and over the rebirth doctrine, you know, the reincarnation perspective. But I think it was common, and I believe that this teaching comes from somebody asking the Buddha, okay, well, here we are in ignorance, not free from suffering, but responding in, with clinging and aversion and self-centeredness. And where does that come from? And so he, he starts the teaching by saying, a beginning point for ignorance did not exist, then it came into play, but it cannot be discerned. This has been said, nevertheless, so first of all, he's just saying like, there was a beginning point, but we can't figure out where it was. It cannot be discerned. It is uh, one of the things the Buddha said is unfathomable. So you ever ask yourselves those unanswerable questions, unfathomable? Where did the re, you know, ignorance that's led this cycle, where did it begin? Because the mind wants to pinpoint. It's like it was that childhood trauma that led to all of my <laughs> and the Buddha just said it's un, unknowable, undiscernible. He said, nevertheless, it can be known, discerned, that ignorance comes from some of the conditionings. He says, I tell you, ignorance has as its food, uh, and it's not without its food. There are the, the, that which uh, feeds, that, that fuels uh, ignorance in this lifetime. And what is the fuel for ignorance? The five hindrances, it should be said. And the five hindrances are fueled um, by three forms of misconduct. And uh, it doesn't say here what he's referring to, but probably um, the first three precepts, the three forms of misconduct, lying, stealing, and sexual misconduct, or killing lying and sexual misconduct but so you know so some three forms of uh you know the hindrances of craving that then becomes theft or the hindrance of anger and aversion that then becomes violence or killing or the craving that becomes lust that becomes misconduct in our sexual activity there's three forms of misconduct and what's the food or the fuel for the misconduct lack of renunciation, lack of restraint, um, uh, you know, sort of obeying the mind lead, you know, because hindrances, my sense is like hindrances are impersonal. You have craving, you have aversion, you have self-centeredness, you have avert, you know, sloth and torpor and, and anxiousness, all of that just seems like it's not personal, not your fault, but a lack of restraint, you know, it, turns into an action, turns into misconduct. And what is the fuel for the lack of restraint that becomes misconduct? It says a lack of mindfulness. It says when we're, we're not doing what we're doing here, training the mind to be present, to investigate what's happening and how it feels, the impermanent, unsatisfactory, and, and impersonal nature. When we're not doing that, then we follow the mind. We don't break our uh, 
I like to frame, you know, mindfulness is breaking our addiction to the mind, no longer obeying the mind, but questioning it, investigating it, and responding rather than reacting to what the mind is, is doing or the heart is doing. So it's a lack of mindfulness and alertness. Uh, it's inappropriate attention. Uh, and what is the few, you know, in, in, the way that this is translated is, you know, appropriate attention is when we're mindful. And when we're not mindful, it's an inappropriate attention, you know, being lost in the future, being lost in the past. The food for inappropriate attention is um, a lack of, uh, faith, a lack of conviction, not being inspired to be mindful. And the a few, fuel for the lack of conviction is not hearing the true Dharma. When we're not being reminded of what is true, we're not hearing it, we're not listening to it, we're not taking in Dhamma, truth. And what is the food for not hearing the true Dharma? association with people of no integrity sometimes this is translated as association with fools and you know so you know like when you're hanging with a whole bunch of people who are lack integrity who are foolish who are you know when your closest friends are not interested in wisdom and compassion and liberation then you don't hear the dharma you don't have practiced mindfulness you don't have conviction faith you're not inspired thus when not association with people of integrity wise people i think you know for us we have to lower the bar a little bit and kind of like people who are at least trying <laughs> maybe not the most wise not everybody has the greatest integrity but at least a group of people who are trying to be wise who are trying to be kind, compassionate, generous, mindful. We're not associating uh, associating with people with no integrity. He says thus, when not associating with people of integrity is made full, it fills the conditions for not hearing the Dharma. When not hearing the Dharma, it fills the condition for a lack of faith. When the lack of faith uh, is happening it fills the conditions for lack of mindfulness uh, lack of mindfulness leads to a lack of restraint of the you know renunciation and a lack of renunciation leads to the three forms of misconduct greed hatred delusion killing stealing lying sexual misconduct intoxication and then you know the five hindrances are made full we live in ignorance when we believe them, when we're obeying the five, five hindrances. Um, so that's how it starts. And then he flips it. He says, okay, you wanna know where ignorance comes from? I'll tell you, it comes from these 10, I think there's 10 in there, 10 processes. And he says, we are know where wisdom comes from. I'll tell you now where clear knowing and release have their, you know, where liberation, where wisdom comes from, has their fuel, um, the seven factors for awakening. 
it should be said, and I tell you, the seven factors for awakening have their fuel. And what is the fuel? What is the food? What feeds the awakening factors? The four foundations of mindfulness. If you want to be wise, mindfulness will lead to wisdom. And what fuels the four foundations of mindfulness? The three forms of right conduct, renunciation, not killing, not lying, not stealing, not behaving inappropriate around intoxicants or sexuality or restraint of the senses, uh, mindfulness, alertness. And what is the, uh, where was I? Seven factors. Okay, so then, so he goes through all of that. And then he says, thus, when associating with people of integrity, and this is the kind of, this is the way that Ajahn Amaro was framing it, was starting here. He says, when, when we draw near to wise people, when you make Sangha a priority, when you make sure that you're, you know, find people who are practicing, he says, uh, when you're associating with good, wise friends, you're more likely to hear the Dharma. Your friends will be like, hey, let's go see this teacher. Let's go listen to this Dharma talk. Let's go, let's listen to this podcast, whatever it is. Let's tune in on uh, your wise friends will encourage such wise behavior. Not let's just go see Slayer. Let's go. All right, nothing wrong with seeing Slayer. You can go see Lamb of God. Uh, but also let's let's go hear some dharma talks wise friends fill the condition for hearing the dharma hearing the dharma leads to faith to conviction to being inspired oh yeah i heard that talk it inspired me to practice mindfulness appropriately train my mind to pay attention to the three characteristics the impermanent nature of all things we, we hear that even though you know that you hear the dharma and it reminds you oh yeah everything's impermanent sometimes i forget and i get quite attached ah letting go i'm reminded Renunciation, three forms of right contact, four foundations of mindfulness, seven factors of awakening are made full. They fill the condition for clear knowing and release. And it all tracks back to who are you hanging out with? Ignorance comes from who are you hanging out with? Wisdom comes from who are you hanging out with? Who are we drawing near to? And this is a very strong theme in the time of the buddha very um consistent and persistent teaching one of the three refuges take refuge in the sangha find a community of wise people and draw near to them and in some places in the teachings not so much this one uh, he goes as far as to say avoid fools avoid those without integrity don't um and so I'm, I'm thinking of this teaching, some of it's personal in my own life, but maybe also some of it's like New Year's. I saw somebody's, who, oh, it was Ice T, you know, the rapper Ice T. Have you seen his social media lately? 
he's like super self-helpy these days he, he's gone from gangster rap and you know actor to like self-help guy but sort of you know thug self-help and ice t on this post was saying you know he said like my kind of resolution from for you know this this coming year is to uh, avoid a whole bunch of people that are not wise that don't support don't don't fuel that you know to to block a whole bunch of people and to lose a whole bunch of phone numbers and to you know kind of break up with some of those unwholesome relationships so i want to take a a pause here to ask all of us to think about I mean, I started the, the small group saying like, who are your close ones? Who are the people who support you? Probably some people are like, fuck, I don't really have them. I want them, but I don't really have them. Some of you have them. Some of, you know, some of us have some quite close, close people, inspiring people of integrity. But probably much easier for us. And if I'd ask the question that I'm asking now, which is like, who are the people in your life that aren't very good influences? Who are the people in your life that actually will encourage bad behavior? That will encourage, you know, dishonesty or intoxication or um, some of the, you know, the kind of unwise actions. And I don't know for sure, and I didn't want to go push too hard for this, but I think it's worth all of us considering, are there some people in my life that it would actually be healthier to let go of, to break up with? I've seen this in my own life where uh, those sometimes the historical connections, where it's like, well, we've been friends for decades. But... Um, you know, decades ago when we became friends, we were both into lying and stealing <laughs> misconduct. And I'm no longer interested in that and they haven't changed much. Uh, and there's a historical connection there. Old friends are my old, the old friends, but they're not feeding uh, this path. They're not supportive or encouraging or interested in this path to liberation. And, you know, each of us reflecting on how much time and energy we're willing to give to people who aren't going to help us hear the Dharma, help us practice the Dharma, support us in that way. So just for your reflection, it's worth um, at some point having good boundaries and saying like, you know, I'm not, I'm not so interested in those relationships, even though they are historical. Maybe they uh, take a back seat. You ever heard this? There's a model. I think it's maybe connected with a psychological uh, model of attachment theory. And I forget who it comes from. Maybe John Bowlby, one of those psychologists. And he said, um, you know, in our, in our relational realm, you can, each person can have one primary attachment person, one primary relationship. You can have one, one, and he calls it an A. He goes A's, B's, and C's. So you can have one A, and that's your partner. You can have one, and there's only one person. That's somebody that you're in contact with every day, you're close to, you share everything with, hopefully honest and open, and 
you know, so thinking about that person, and hopefully we want that person to be a person of integrity, a person of ethics, hopefully a person that's on the path with you, or at least supportive of your path to liberation. So you have one B, and I think that he says the maximum of sort of close friends that we can really sustain, where you talk to them regularly, they're updated on what's happening in your life, you're updated on what's happening on their life, and it's, uh, he said, I think it's five, and we call those Bs. You can have five Bs. So reflecting each of us for a minute, like who are my five Bs? Who are the five people that I kind of know what's going on with me? And maybe it's not five for you, maybe it's only three, maybe it's only two or three, I don't know. But maximum of five, he says, when you start getting beyond five, you try to kind of stay in contact with 10 people on that sort of closeness. It gets, you know, you don't have the time and energy if you have a job <laughs> to really sustain 10 really close friends. You can have like five close friends and then, and then they become seats, those sort of associates of like, you know, I'm not, they're not really my tight homies but they're friends and they're you know maybe you have lots of c's maybe you have dozens of people that are in the c category that you talk to occasionally and you're happy to see them and they're happy to see you and you check in every six months and you know whatever it is this model makes sense one a handful small handful of b's lots of c's acquaintances are c's Maybe acquaintances or even D's. C's are like your friends. And then maybe maybe there's another level of like D's, which are like people that you're acquainted with, but they're not really your friends. Maybe, you know, you don't have their phone number <laughs> or something. They don't have your phone number. You know, maybe that's a whole nother. But C's are more like, yeah, no, no, I have bigger kind of circle of, you know, and, and even in the Sangha. Maybe you have your, your A Sangha person your primary, like this is my, uh, my mentor or my sponsor or my teacher or my, you know, friend that really, you know, is the one to be like, yo, let's go practice. Let's go to this retreat, you know, like the, the person who's encouraging and supporting and you have that, that A in the Sangha and maybe have some Bs in the Sangha. But as we look at our lives, if you honestly assess your friendships, how many of your bees are wise or trying to be wise? How many of your bees are, um, are sangha in that way? And how many of our bees are historical friendships with you know, hooligans who aren't interested in what we're interested in? No, no questions yet, just, just for reflection, just. And the encouragement here from this sutta, from the Buddha, to do what we can to make those bees in our life, those five people that we're spending most of our time and energy connected with, into people who are going where we want to go. Who are practicing the Dharma, who are listening to the Dharma, who are trying to get free from the causes of suffering in their life. And as you assess your own kind of, we all look at our lives and say like, you know, where do I have those people? And, you know, what do I need to do to establish those friendships? It's one of the reasons why I always start class here with making you talk to each other. 
because this is a good place to establish those kinds of friendships. Even for the people who aren't in the room or on Zoom and all of the different places, you get in those little breakout rooms, you start to become familiar with each other, you start to connect. Not everybody has the you know, ability to show up in person to a community like this. Some of you are all over the state or country or planet. So um, some encouragements to consider um, breaking up with some of your unhealthy friends or at least putting them into the C category, demoting them. Do you have any of those friends? Just thinking about it. you have any of those friends that like you talk to all of the time, but they're pretty much a bad, they kind of give you bad advice almost all of the time. You, you know, you talk to regularly or, but they, they don't, they're, they're never going to remind you to be compassionate. They're always going to be like, yeah, you should suffer about that. Forgiveness isn't even really on their radar. Wisdom isn't even really on their radar. And when you talk to them about what's going on in your life, they give you that sort of support for meeting your pain with ignorance rather than with wisdom. They encourage bad behavior, bad, you know, ignorant response rather than wise response. So I encourage you to consider demoting those friends and to promoting maybe you have some c's some people here in the sangha people in other places in your recovery community or other spiritual communities that you sort of like just keep as associates and actually consider promoting them and bringing them in to your b category and say, so i'm going to call this person more regularly i'm going to invite this person out for coffee and see if they're going to the talk and you know see if you know even even for the zoom community of like saying like hey we've been in these breakout rooms a couple of times can i get your number is it okay if i call you making those kind of connections to sustain the Buddha's encouragement here to draw near to the wise because it's for our liberation. The causes and conditions of liberation start with who we're associating with. Does it make sense? Now, I, have, I want to have some questions um, and I'm inspired by this. And I'm a little bit confused by it. And I think one of the one of the things like, you know, when the Buddha says stuff like avoid all fools and only associate with the wise, I do feel like we have a, a situation where if that were if people were practicing that, that too much, if we were too rigid about that, then um, who would welcome us when we show up as the ignorant fool seeking help? But there is a difference between the ignorant fool that we all have been showing up seeking help than the ignorant fool that's not interested. I've found, um, you know, a big part of my life, you know, informed both by Buddhism and by recovery communities uh, is to be of service and to be there and to be available and to try to uh, inspire and educate and, and um, 
be of service to people who aren't quite interested yet. Not like proselytizing or anything, but modeling. And uh, over and over for me in the communities, the ignorance-based communities that I love to hang out in, like the punk rock scene, or the, this last weekend I was in Las Vegas and I, Las Vegas and I was at the punk rock museum and uh, Fat Mike from No Effects and, and Fat Records uh, who opened the place was like, you know, came out and was, we were visiting for a while and he was like, you know, I'm so grateful for when I tried to get sober and I went to your treatment center. And it was all because like I stayed connected to that scene and because we've known each other, you know, for decades and, you know, and, and so, I personally haven't avoided all fools. I associate with a whole bunch of, what, how does it translate it? People of low uh, integrity, <laughs> you know, or in the motorcycle world or in the tattoo world or in the, you know, car world. You know, I, I hang out with a bunch of knuckle draggers. They're my people, <laughs> but they're pretty much C's. And the bees in my life meditate on one level or another. The people who I'm in regular contact with have, you know, recovery, have dharma, have, uh, have integrity, have ethics, or at least are trying to. And uh, those other realms are seas, you know, the, that I, and I love to hang out in the seedy <laughs> realms. I was reminded I was playing poker the other day. Poker is also another realm of seediness of people with low integrity. Actually, the Buddha says, don't gamble, because if you gamble, you'll hang out with people of, of, of low character. I'm like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I was playing poker the other day, and there was two people there who were like, oh, yeah, I haven't seen you in a while. I met you playing poker and started going to meditation because I met you. And because like being in that realm and, you know, they say, what do you do? I'm like, wow, teach meditation. <laughs> like I thought you were a tattoo artist. <laughs> and then, you know, being there and being open about it. And then they came and practiced and kind of got the seeds of the Dharma planted. So I don't think we want to go too hard. What I'm saying is of completely avoiding all of those scenes, but whatever scenes we go into, we bring our mindfulness, we bring our ethics, we bring the openness of like, this is what I'm about. I'm trying to end suffering in my life. I'm trying to be wise. I'm trying to be compassionate. And if you're interested, I'm, you're welcome to join me, you're, you know, having that sort of attitude. So I'll leave it there and open for questions, comments, your experience with trying to develop um, these Sangha relationships and challenges you have with it or, please, Jay. It's so interesting that you bring this up tonight. It's just been so on the top of my mind. Um, last night, which was ostensibly supposed to Mystery and I go out with a bunch of people of low integrity. And uh, my night was supposed to go so, something like this like, uh, oh, come over to my place and we'll sort of like pre drink and uh, we'll order in some pizza and then we'll go to this other bar that all of it, I was like, I don't want to do um, any of this. 
And I was like, why don't we go, why don't we get a table over at night market? Let's all go and sit at a table and, and be out doing something. And I knew that what the, that what this was gonna be was like some some people, they were ordering pizza just as like kind of set dressing, but they really they just wanted to hang out and do coke. Right. And like the pizza would just be like, well, at least there's pizza, so balances the piles of cocaine. I'm not gonna eat anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, and I was like, you know what? I'm not I don't I don't want to do any of that. I'm gonna go here and you know, spend a couple hours with Noah and Sangha and the Dharma and then get some Thai food and, and, and go home. And everybody I spoke to today who went was saying, man, it's awful. It's awful. <laughs> and it was funny because I was sitting here last night going, I wonder what would have happened if they had come here. Or if I had even mentioned, hey, what do you guys think about maybe coming to this? And I, I just, you know, it's sort of, it, it, what you're talking about doing so, it, it, funny enough, it's so tricky. It's so difficult to try to, I don't think there's any way that I could convince them to come here. Um, and, and personally, my, I guess sort of my, my observation, my question is wondering if it's also um, not just people voluntary, but, but an environment, how, how much of it is environmental, not mm -hmm. to shit on, LA or California, um, but then maybe the environment has to be taken into account as, as well as a, an environment of low integrity. That's an interesting question. Uh, my, my, I have to reflect on it more to have a, a good, but my, my sense is that the environment is created by the people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even in like LA, there was a long time where there was no or very, very little kind of this kind of Buddhism happening in LA, like in the kind of insight Theravadan tradition. 20 years ago, there was no meditation center here. And then, you know, 18 years ago, I moved here and Trudy Goodman moved here and inside LA and against the stream and, um, and now, you know, now there's, you know, uh, you know, with refuge recovery and with against the stream and, you know, people, people travel here because of the culture of uh, a bit like our meditation center to, that, you know, like this is one of the places where it's really happening. And there's lots of people that are really uh, connected to it. And you can go to recovery meet, refuge meetings every day, and you can come to morning meditation every day here. And you can, um, so yeah, LA is a place of, of low integrity, <laughs> but within, um, this culture, there's pockets of really high integrity and of, of wisdom. And, you know, there's, there's Dharma practice happening here opportunity happening here where and you know like half of these people on zoom not you know not that they want to be in la but they wish that they had this you know in their hometown that you know that they wish that there was the kind of access to this kind of sangha um 
you know, whether it's, you know, I see, you know, James in uh, Hawaii or, you know, uh, up north or, you know, I mean, I have to look through who's here, but, you know, kind of all over the country, people being like, you guys have it the best down there. You got Sangha. And, you know, these folks are like, we have to zoom into Sangha, <laughs> you know, or Michelle visiting from Northern California now because he doesn't have it up there coming down here to, to be part of this. So, it, it's it's the people and there's lots of places where um maybe the culture is a bit more wholesome than los angeles culture but there's no sangha you know what i mean so that maybe there's something about the suffering i don't maybe it's it's me because i you know uh, san francisco new york la my adult life you know and these you know because i just like cities so San Francisco, New York, LA, big sanghas, because, you know, there's so much suffering and uh, there's also so much inspiration to end suffering in urban environments. You can go out to the rural, you know, you know, you can go out to the desert and it's, it's not so hectic, but there's also not that much support probably. Depends on which desert you're living you know, where, where you are in the rural, rural environments. Any other thoughts, comments, questions, anything from people at home about my encouragement to break up with your unwise friends and to, or at least demote them <laughs> and to promote some wiser people to your closest, your nearest and dearest. <laughs> it is Sutta 61 from the uh, Anguttara Nikaya, and um, it's in the Book of Tens, Book of Tens, Sutta 61, Anguttara Nikaya. It's the Avija Sutta, the Sutra Sutta on Ignorance. Did you find it? I'm Okay, yeah. yeah. Sutta 61 from the Book of Tens, the list of ten, 10 things. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was wondering how community and beyond sitting and being with each other in the space and having a safe space together how those bonds develop because we come in and we talk a little bit initially we talk as part of the after we've meditated and then we leave so yeah. it's the day long and so on how do we have how do you build the relationships, especially some people like myself who may be introverts and not very good at extroverting. It's a, it's a great question. And it's just sort of awkward as an adult to try to make new friends, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it just sort of awkward to be like, can I have your phone number? You're nice. You see, yeah, will you be my friend? It is, it's fucking awkward, but it is what's being encouraged here. And sometimes that happens 
organically you know from coming and you're in the small groups and you're sitting next to each other and you're you know after doing silent meditation retreat together you've done that where you feel oh I'm like i didn't talk to these people all week but i feel so bonded to them and i want to keep in touch and then you keep in touch um and so some sometimes it happens organic like that trip that we took uh sebastian was commenting last night about um that trip we took to thailand last month or in november um and about we had 35 people on it and almost everybody was either here or on zoom for the intention setting and there's a whatsapp group where people are still posting and still because we went through and he was talking about how like even more so than going on a meditation retreat doing a travel thing with that with a, a group from the sangha there's all of that shared time and annoying each other and being hot on the bus together and and you know practicing together and um but it's a, i don't have the answer really other than like be awkward and ask people for their phone number and say hello and go out of your way way to say like would you like to get coffee you know um when i was younger and you know probably single and uh almost every night after i would teach we'd be like okay and we're going to dinner and anybody that wants to come but like i was just talking to luke about this earlier it's like back then we would go 7 30 to 9 and then we would go to dinner at 10 o'clock in hollywood you know <laughs> and be like yeah i was in my 30s and i'm down to go to dinner at 10 o'clock and now i'm like fuck it's almost 8 30. <laughs> <laughs> can i end a few minutes early tonight like and i'm not going to dinner with anybody like or you know now it's like okay let's go grab tacos real quick and then you know and not that late night dinners that it used to be which made it you know i think it made it easier for people to connect when i was driving that everyone's welcome and let's let's do that uh, now you're kind of on your own you got to connect you got to uh do the awkward will you be my friend you know are you interested in in connecting and then you know then there's the awkwardness of like well is this person just hitting on me or are they really wanting to be my friend or you know i'm not sure it's hard to tell these days one thing that um we did a bit Steph and emily's song is we did a kayak event like we did stuff like that like we're you know okay everyone who wants to come we're going to half moon bay and we're in a kayak and and then we were stuck in these you know kayaks together and paired <laughs> up randomly with people we might never talk to <laughs> at all like age differences interest differences life stages all that and there we were and we had to do this kayak trip like you know and it's cold and it's like one person knows how to paddle because they've kayaked before and the other person does it. And then the kayaks turn, you know, and, and by the end of it, like everything's so funny. And it's, you're, you bonded with this person you wouldn't talk to and the Sangha got to spend time together, you know? And so that's another way, like, you know, coming up with these little events, you know, whoever can come whenever and anyone can suggest something, you know? Yeah. So it's just, you know, kind of being brave, like you said. Like I mean, all of those help. Rich, going to retreats, coming to the day long, coming to class regularly, all of that stuff helps. And at some point, you just have to be like, you know, are you interested in getting coffee?
And then from there, you know, can I have your phone number? Are you interested in, in can, you know, and take a hike? Um, and then from there, you see if this is somebody that you want to actually, and, and also, you know, warning of like, just because you meet somebody at a meditation group doesn't mean they're trustworthy or wise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just uh, don't let people know where you live for a very long time. I think that's important, Jess, you know, like also to use discernment, because I know I'm pushing hard of like, hey, develop, and this is a pretty good place. But also there's creeps here, Yeah. right, for sure sometimes. And so you do need to be careful and develop that discernment slowly to, you know, make sure and, and to use your own discernment around like, um not too quickly giving somebody your address not to scare you <laughs> stranger danger stranger danger too yeah jj so i've been in the life for almost 40 years and uh heaven and hell both in the same way that i can i can depend on which lens i'm looking through you know, right now, I can find I can find the dealer in any room if I'm looking for him. And I find the sober person now. You know, I can see the light on people, and I can see the darkness on people, and they're all exactly the same physical places for me. You know, Santa uh, Monica Valley, um, and I. I just was thinking this the other day. I I stood on the same corner trying to score and then and meditate <laughs> you know um and recently i realized i actually had to change my phone number first time in all, all the time I, i've lived here because uh i thought the people who i could count on were my lower companions i thought they were my friends and they were really parasites and you know um and I can't see that, you know, when I'm in the need of addiction, like that's who the only people I think I can count on. And now in rooms and recovery and sangha, those are the only people I can count on. Like, yeah, we don't, we don't come here because we're well, you know, I just can see the people who are speaking, you know. Thank you. Maybe leave it there for tonight. Derek, you had raised your hand and then put it down. Did you want to say something online? Um, I think, I guess, one thing that I'd noticed kind of living in Chicago and um, just trying to find Sangha actually brought me here virtually. And uh, I guess it was kind of just, if anyone had had any luck kind of finding people who are like-minded um, without the benefit of maybe like an in-person Sangha. Um, a lot of my friends whenever I get meditation and such things, you know, they kind of just uh, they're like, oh, I've tried. It doesn't work for me. And that's kind of the end of the conversation. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of generally the question. I mean, certainly there's lots of people here who have um, connected and sustained um, friendships from meeting people in these uh, rooms. And, you know, uh, half of our community, probably more than that, three quarters are probably recovery people. And there's such an emphasis in the recovery world 
to like getting phone numbers and and you know being of service in that way and it's not as awkward as it is in a meditation group to be like can i have your phone number <laughs> uh where it's sort of more expected in the recovery uh, communities to be exchanging information um but you can do that here too and encourage you to do that here so we'll leave it there for tonight I do have a day long retreat coming up on January 14th. I think it's a Sunday. Uh, we're going to meditate from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., alternating sitting meditation and walking meditation. You're all invited. You can register on the website, againstthestream.com. Um, if you want to come and you can't afford it, just let me know. I'll scholarship you. If you can't afford it, pay for it to support the center. All the money goes to supporting the nonprofit, the center. Uh, I teach for donation and um, classes done by donation please uh, be as generous as you can be the suggested donation for dropping in on a monday night is 20 between 20 25 dollars think about what you pay for your yoga classes or your exercises classes or those kind of things or your movies these days cost 20 bucks to go see a fucking movie um and so if you can give 20 bucks and pitch in great if you don't have it you're welcome to be here um, regardless of ability to, to, to donate. So thank you very much for, for joining me tonight. And um, may any goodness that comes from our practice be gathered and dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all living beings. May each one of us get as free as possible in this lifetime. And together, may we create a positive change on this planet. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.